Do you think that record sucks, Tyler? Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I, uh, well, Touch Up was like, was my mother, mother introduction because I'm a Vancouver boy. So like, obviously. You're helping promote it. I was was helping promote it. I worked at Frontside who did your radio. And I remember I sent you a MySpace message and asked if Said the Whale could open up for you guys at the Plaza Club which is where I think your album release show was for Touch Up. That's right, yeah. Um, and you responded, and it was you sent me a very nice message, and you said that, no, there was, there was already a supporting act, um, and maybe oh. next time. Good job, former self. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It made me feel very nice. I, I got a response, and, and then eventually we did share the stage. So yeah. So you, held, you stayed true to your word. I hope we do again. Oh, my makeup. It has washed off. You're listening to Demoitis, hosted by Said the Whale. This is our podcast, exploring our latest album, As Long As Your Eyes Are Wide. Today we're joined by a very special guest, here to talk about his own experience with songwriting and recording, Ryan from the band Mother Mother. Are you familiar with the term demoitis? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever suffered from demoitis? I've suffered the condition. I think once you suffer it, it doesn't go away. Yeah. I mean, it's there for good reason. You do channel something very true to um, what you're meaning to do in that first burst of creativity. Yeah. And the uh, the lack of perfection uh, gives way to the yeah the truth behind your meaning, and and that's what we get attached to. Yeah. It's not like the sonic quality or anything technical. It's it's just pure emotion. Um, what what's your demo setup at home? Um, I use Pro Tools, have a bunch of MIDI stuff, yeah, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, all inside the box. Yeah, uh, a four fourteen microphone. So yeah, I can record stuff and and it's good enough to keep. We keep probably twenty percent of the audio, yeah, or twenty percent of the audio on the final record is from demos. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Do you feel like after you know a career of recording music and recording with other people and your knowledge of how to do all the recording process just allows demoing to happen so much easier well yeah technologically it's easier to find colors and to bring ideas to fruition but it's the ideas part that always remains the uh the problem or the solution it's like it doesn't matter how um, fluid your your setup is if you don't if you're not bringing a, a kernel of gold to it then um, it doesn't matter yeah it's like polishing a turd or whatever that expression yeah. is yeah. love that expression so <laughs> and I find it gets harder as I get older to feel like I am in the the passionate grip of creativity mm-hmm. where ideas are coming from the right place and consistent enough to warrant bringing them to life right yeah so it's it's for me it's less about like refining my my setup or even my skill set as an engineer or producer and more about trying to become a kid again or trying to strip away all the heady crap that you um you are burdened with as a byproduct of being an adult in order to make music that's free and wild and potent um, we were just listening to your demos and stuff from Love Stuck. Mm. Awesome. Angels flew away. I didn't know 
where like what tell us a little bit about that song where what was the spark for that song um well i was writing on quadra island on my dad's property in a little shed not unlike this all right yeah and um I was having a real bitch of a time with it, yeah. I, guess I remember it, I, I ran into you at the Roco Code show. Yeah. You were saying that you were having a little bit of writer's block and mm-hmm. we were commiserating. Yeah, totally. I was in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a real conundrum, that writer's block, which I just think is a euphemism for fear. I think there's no such thing as writer's block because you can always just pick up something and bang it on something else. And then, in a sense, you're creating and you're being productive. Um, but I find it's just, it's the fear of committing to trying and then being faced with a result of it sucking. Yeah. So that fear can push us away from even getting into the creative mode. And I was pretty entrenched in that fear at that time. And then Love Stuck was this song that it kind of broke me out of that prison a little bit. It was my birthday and I sort of decided that... I was going to um, employ some cosmic factor. Okay, this is the day that I, you know, came into this world in this in this human form. Then maybe there's some sort of like cosmic numerological importance. And even if there isn't, I'm still going to tell myself that there is, just so maybe I can write a, a good song <laughs> finally. Yeah. And so I kind of locked myself in that shed and pounded it out until that song came into being and it was the first time during the the writing of no culture that i i got that like soul stirring youthful feeling Mm. where like i didn't want to drink water or eat i just wanted to stay glued to the song and keep chipping away and like have hours and days pass by and that's the space that i love being in when writing songs right it's like if if you're anticipating your break then you're really not tapping into something yeah amazing yeah it's it's when reality and your obligations just turn into some soupy peripheral nothingness when you know that you're inside of a good song yeah i wrote the chord progression of the verse okay and i had this melody in mind which i was really attached to i was like oh, this is dark and melodic and and beautiful and this works um and so i invested some time in, in that verse and pre-chorus and what's ironic is that that's the part that ended up getting changed yeah. like i brought the demo into the production team and they were like the chorus is money but the verse is too dark it's too sunken it exists in the same vocal range as the chorus so let's make it a higher melody and brighter and i was like so shocked because I thought the verse was the strongest part of the song in the demo. But I was at a place where I was just super open to, yeah, collaboration in in order to make something better. So I, I went along with it and I really like the finished product. But I think I listened back to that demo, that darker melody in that verse and I feel more like me when I listen to it okay interesting but I can see how in the context of trying to make a single or a radio song that all of these ideas of making contrast between a verse melody and a chorus Mm -hmm. melody and making it brighter and faster and poppier holds a lot of water 
Yeah. You know, I'm not afraid to admit to all of these things. You know, it's, it's part of my world is picking the focus tracks on an album and um, doing what you can to, to bring them to that that state of viability without sacrificing your identity and then not worrying about that at all for some of the album tracks. Yeah. yeah. I'm very much at peace with that. And I actually quite like that game. It's fun. It is fun. Yeah. It's, yeah. Part, it's part of our world. So talking about like not a cure, but, you know, our own personal ways of getting around demoitis. If you can like look forward at it happening and say, how can I not do that this time? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're just, I don't know how other people write songs or, you know, demo. And I just sit in my own little world. So I'm always curious about other people, how you get around it, if it's a conscious thing. Yeah, I guess after you've suffered demoitis so much, you you may purposefully try to make the demos not great. Yeah, <laughs> like where you don't exactly. need to. Exactly. It's like maybe I won't go down this rabbit hole, making this snare drum so unique and awesome, so that when we go into a big studio and record a wonderful average sounding <laughs> snare drum, yeah. I won't be losing sleep. You know, which still happens apparently. <laughs> but then again, it's like I, I kind of hate that. It's like. No, go down the rabbit holes. Make yeah. your demos amazing. Like you're in a moment, and why resist being amazing right. for fear of not being able to champion your idea in the context of proper album production right. yeah. with ex-producer or your own band? It's like there's so much fear behind that, yeah. and I find that like creative zenith is born out of the opposite of fear. Yeah. It's confidence. Mm -hmm. And so much of writing songs is Lego, is, is this surgical compartmentalization. It's like sometimes you stumble upon a winning bridge and someone goes, that bridge could be a chorus. Totally. Fuck the rest of the song, just take the bridge, make it a chorus, write a new verse. And it's like, oh, well, the bridge of this other song will make a good verse for this song. And then it's like you piecemeal six songs together and it makes something that hopefully you like and people like and can push things forward yeah yeah and like well, that six songs i spent six months on six songs it's now like, it's one song <laughs> the world needs one good song not six mediocre songs <laughs> so fuck your time <laughs> Okay, welcome to part two of the Demoitis podcast. We are talking about the song Lilac and Willow from Said the Whale's album, As Long As Your Eyes Are Wide. Originally, it was called Lilac on Willow, Willow being the street that I was referencing, uh, which is you know one of the major streets above my, my co-op that I grew up in. Um, this song had so many incarnations. It's, so many. It's been around in so many different ways. Um this song for me, the goal, I remember uh, in the summer of 2016 being up at my cabin and just having that guitar riff stuck so firmly in my head. And I was like, this has to be a song on the record. We have to. And so for me, this song was like every different version of the song was just trying to find a way to get to that chorus and to make the chorus as sweet as possible. Ah, choruses. <laughs> well, I just, I was like, yeah, that part just needed to be in a song. That's probably why it 
had to go through so many different phases before we finished the song. Yeah, this was maybe the most the most versions of a song that we had from this record and maybe like the most excruciating but so rewarding when we finally cracked open the code. Yeah, and I personally, I liked all the different versions, so it was tough because I kind of liked something from each of them. Yeah. And I think in the end, it turned out to have a little bit of everything in it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, Um, well, why don't we start from, like, we'll do our best to piece this together chronologically. So, Sure. Well, I mean, I had this on my computer at home as a little demo I had made uh, where I just played two parts on an acoustic guitar and one was the riff but it was less of a riff and more of just a little noodle on the on the guitar and I cut and pasted and looped it twice and that's just kind of how it existed but I could not shake it and you know for the longest time it was just this little riff that I kept playing in my head and then I played on the guitar I liked the way it felt and I liked the way it sounded and then I had to figure out how to how to make it into more of a song and that's when I made my other demo that I sent you first prize tides first ones away uh, I slowed it down and I added some melodica and made it kind of weird made it really weird and and that kind of solidified it as a possibility to be something more or to be a song. I'm never really good at making demos that end up as the final product or, you know, with such a uh, a detailed idea of what it needs to be. Um, sometimes that's to my detriment. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real bonus to be able to be bad at making demos. <laughs> um, but we did some some really cool stuff with this one. Well, so the first version, we had this, like, really weird... We were calling it, like, a backbeat. And Kane had, like, pieced together this beat from samples. Um, and it was sort of like the tom was creating this, like, boom, 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 boom. And, and we sort of... We tried to, like join another one of your demos as the verse and then make the lilac on willow part uh the chorus and it felt like i remember a day where we were all dancing to that beat and thinking it was like the coolest like 90s kind of like yeah beck throwback ever um and then the next day listening to it and just be like this sucks well it's really hard to know where it went next yeah because you couldn't you know you couldn't connect the dots from that. It just felt weird. Yeah. I, w- I was pretty excited to try and rap nonsense, though. Yeah, there was going to be, like, a rap section. It was going to be really, really bad. I think it would have been bad. I'm glad I think it was really bad. I'm glad we did not pursue that yeah. um, any more than we did. Um, so, and then I think the next version was sort of in the same vein, but then was sort of, like, this, like, pulsy sort of synth version of that. And then somewhere along the line, uh, Dwight from the Zolas, who played bass on most of our record, came and did this like super badass musey kind of. He called it a muse ripoff baseline. It was just like. I was thinking Rage Against the Machine. Totally. Yeah, and it, and that was going to be like the chorus, and that felt right for a second. Um, that was the polar opposite of the very first spark of the song, which is this sweet sounding, you know, yeah. acoustic guitar riff. And then, you know, came to this point where it was this huge 
crashing, beefy, Rage Against the Machine song. It was so, a so real departure. I was, like, really trying to take... Everyone was saying, yeah, like we got to go, like, 90s grunge with this song. So I took that very literally. I think that was you. You you were saying we should go 90s grunge. Well, no, grunge. I think... I, th- I thought it was Kane was sort of, like... He was pushing us in that direction. That's why we had, like, the Beck thing. We were, like, referencing Beck a lot, like, 90s Beck. And then... So I went home that night and just made, like, a Weedus version of it. Like, if Weedus were to play this song... That's funny. I was thinking... Uh, I was thinking Drunk Weezer. Yeah, totally, like, Drunk... Well... <laughs> What do you think Weezer is? Or sorry, Weedus. Weedus is Drunk Weezer? Weedus is Drunk Weezer. I do like that Dirtbag song. Great song. And so it was sort of like that, but more of like shoegazy, maybe like a My Bloody Valentine thing. And I thought that version was really sweet. And... I thought it was going to be a hit for sure. That's what I'm saying. Is there's something I like something about all these different things. Yeah. Even the weird Beck one. It was yeah. you know there's something about it. So the '90s one, the '90s. I called it. What did I call it? Uh, I think I called it like '90s grunge baby. That was that was what it was called. The demo that I made and I sang it. Should have called it that. Would have been a hit. And then I think that was the point where we just threw up our hands and we we're like, okay, you know what? This song isn't going to exist on the record this song is just there it's not meant to be um and so we left it for like a month and then and then we came back to it at kane studio in east van yeah i remember we decided to kind of put it on the back burner and i was so excited when we came back to it i had been waiting you know and and had this idea that we'd come back and have all these ideas and everything would go smoothly from there and then it kind of did it totally did it was one of those things where we basically just like threw out everything we had and we we rewrote the chord structure in the first verse and so we started out with the acoustic guitar and that was going through like i think the pog pedal which we've used a lot the polyphonic octave generator and it was just like strumming uh, and it made these really magical, beautiful, kind of like harp-sounding, glittery acoustic chords, um, and uh, and they were all major chords, which which I remember you kind of felt weird about at first, but we were all we were super into it because it just changed the vibe instantly. It made it into like this really yeah shimmery. It took it out of the dark. Took it out of the Shot dark. A little bit of shiny light on it. Totally. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it was sort of just like a blurry 10 hours of crafting this song in Kane's studio, just the three of us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going this like dream pop direction, but then like the bridge totally has the like 90s emo stuff that like I love and it builds up into this huge crescendo. And we actually tracked a lot of the vocals that night, too. We, and, I th- and I think we kept some of them. Totally. I remember holding on to a f- uh, 58 and just singing in the room for a lot of that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then starting the song off with that, just like the beeping sound, which is just like a, a piece of guitar that we grabbed, piece of acoustic guitar that we grabbed from the beginning. And Kane just looped that. And that sort of like became our tempo set. Um and uh, and yeah, from there it just like morphed into this this uh, obvious album closer. We finished the song. And we're like, well, that's the album closer. It has to be. There's no chance that it's not the album closer. Yeah, that w- that was 
Nice. Yeah. We're going to make t-shirts that, that were all I do is dream. We never made those t-shirts. We yeah. still could. We still could. Yeah. Yeah. This song, it, to me, feels closely tied with the song Heaven. Um, thematically, it's about nostalgia. It's about looking back on, you know, uh, another time in life. Um, it's about conjuring memories of childhood and the smell of uh, lilac flowers and having the windows open in the spring and the smell of the park outside my house and when everything's blooming. Um, my mom used to go and, and clip blooming lilacs from people's uh, yards. Not from the yards. You know when the flowers overhang and, and they're fair game? And sure, she, she'd, sure. Go, she'd go out at night in the in the summer months and, and clip lilac, and I remember smelling it from my bedroom. Um, it's also you know kind of about uh, my, I want to say hobby, but it's more of like an addiction to... Uh, to fishing and waking up early and how uh, that feels kind of like a, a pastime, um, you know, the feeling of excitement and waking up uh, at sunrise to be on an adventure and pack the car and head out. And so, uh, you know, that, and I think I, I even used the word nostalgia in the song, sweet nostalgia. This is like, this is the veiled fishing song on the album. This is the Nobody veiled. knows it's a song about fishing. And I think the, like the f- opening line of the song kind of like slips by people, but you're saying first prize you get with the tides. First one's awake. It's like yeah. sweet nostalgia. That's just fishing. Right it's about there. fishing. Yeah. But I, I think it, it, that goes over most listeners heads. Yeah. I tried to veil my fishing references, both beautiful morning and, uh, <laughs> and lilac and willow have some, have some deep rooted fishing yeah. ism to them, but, uh, I tried to keep it, keep it down low. <laughs> um, I, I'm really happy with the way this song turned out in the end. The demoitis was tough because there are a lot of elements that helped this song kind of form in the beginning that were not added or kept for the finished product which left me thinking you know why why can't we have penny whistle on this why can't we have melodica like all these sounds are so weird they make it they make it so unique and like you know it's its own thing but in the end I like to look at the evolution and see where I was and, you know, see what I utilize in my own bedroom when I'm demoing versus what you would use when you're demoing versus what Kane uses in his studio and everything just sounded so different and it's neat to kind of see everybody's process. Yeah. Another idea we had for the song was that um, if we were able to pull it off, we were going to have the all I do is dream at the end just loop and we're going to create a like an endless loop on a vinyl record um, which I think you can do but it was going to be expensive like a repeating groove yeah it was just going to be a repeating groove and so if you're listening to the album on vinyl it would never stop saying all I do is dream but I think timing that out is also really difficult I, I liked this idea we talked about this because in my mind it's like when you fall asleep listening to a song totally and it just kind of repeats itself or goes through your dream and uh, you know you'd fall asleep listening to this record and those lyrics would just keep repeating yeah this song is kind of like uh, a thorn in my side in in the way that I love to perform it live. We played it at a bunch of our shows, but I seem to always fuck it up at some point, and it makes me afraid to play it. and um, And it's it's a really difficult song to do live. Just the tones that I'm listening to and singing are are hard to get a hold of. And 
and it makes it just like shakes me up and I get all this uh, nervous anxiety and I uh, and then we took it off the set list so yeah, for a while this is one of those ones that you know makes me anxious to perform but also keeps it kind of special you know yeah, we took well, it off and off the list and now we can't wait to play it again yeah I like that though because we're all we're all like worried that you're gonna fuck up too so there's like definitely some like fun in playing this song because we're all kind of like you place on, bets on where it is yeah we're like on the edge of our seats just waiting for the song to like totally derail yeah well it, <laughs> that'll happen it will but that's fine it's, we're human back to demoitis for a second by the time we were making the version that we ended up making of this song I had absolutely zero demoitis in fact I was pissed off at this song because it had caused us so much anguish in the studio and we'd spent so much time and energy working on all the other versions that I actually just like didn't care at all when we went into making this version um, and so that's that's why I think it turned out so good because there was nothing to be married to because we there was nothing to lose because I thought the song wasn't going to be on the record already I 